Good morning to each of you and welcome. This morning's scripture reading is in Luke 11.35. Actually, Luke 11.37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms, give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we gather together in the middle of our series through Luke, whenever you come across a passage like this, if you grew up or are used to a pastor speaking on selected verses, it's a little awkward or weird why I would choose this. Why didn't I? I We're going through Luke because Luke wrote this whole gospel to Theophilus and for us. Also, you might wonder, is this my normal voice? I didn't grow up smoking. Um, I just spent a week with VBS, and then last week at Camp Good News, preaching or teaching the Bible for three hours to kindergartners to fifth graders. In one of those sessions, the youngest, there was no counselors there. So you can imagine how much I had to use my voice to try and, for an hour, run games and teach the Bible and keep it fun so they didn't end up hating the, their experience with, with the Lord through his word. Um, it was a great privilege and honor to serve. And as we open the word today, uh, one of our elders was out there and he said, did you get time studying? I said, yeah, but I didn't tell him I was not happy with the result. I was very discouraged. How do you preach the woes and give it an encouraging tone without just feeling beat up, even myself? I'm like, I, yeah, Jesus, you just came down and laid the smack down. Didn't he come to save the world, not make fun and yell at us? And here we are, the church, we, we get to see what's hopefully going to encourage us as Jesus turns from the crowd, where we love to see his love poured out, and that's how we, when we leave this place, we pour out his love as believers, and sometimes we mess up, and that's why he's so harsh with those who claim to follow him. Because we can't do it perfectly. We can't even try to make progress in the ways of Christ unless first his spirit is in us. And that's why we, we see this change, not only of the backdrop or location, but also his tone. Because he's no longer with sinners who need a savior, who are broken and hopeless. He's with the self-righteous who are thinking they can instruct Jesus on the ways of Jesus. Thinking they can instruct the Savior on the ways of the Savior. Thinking they can tell God what God wants. And so we see Jesus no longer is with the crowd. Now he's invited as the guest in a private home with an unnamed Pharisee. Apparently there are also other guests there. As verse 45 mentions one of the experts in the law. So a lawyer wasn't in the court of law, but in an expert in the words of the law. And so it's a private gathering, but there's some major key religious leaders here. And the Pharisees and scribes were there. The Pharisees were so upset. They, they were beside themselves. How could this man who, who claims to be righteous, how could he not wash his hands before dinner? And obviously, the past couple of years, you're like, yeah, Jesus, we got to talk to Jesus about this. Like, does he not know germs can spread? And going in, I'm like, yeah, I mean, going into camp now, he like, years ago when I was a youth pastor, you just went in and ate. 
But then they, then they put in these hand-washing stations and sanitizers everywhere, these big old, because that's giant camp, you have to make it all cool and rocks, and there's water spigots everywhere. And I was like, man, as a kid, we just like grabbed a hose and drank from it, and we just went in and ate. Like this is, this is yeah, we're definitely more hygiene aware and hand sanitizers everywhere, you know, you, you, there's like motion sensors now. You're just walking and they squirt you. You're like, whoa, okay, I'm doused with sanitizer. So obviously, like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're going to get us sick. You're you contaminate. And it's a communal. They're all there. They don't have, like, your own individual, what do you want from in and out? Okay, you get a number one. You get a number two. It was like, here's what we have. It's on the table. You just keep dipping. Like, you would have lost your, like, dude, I can't believe Jesus double dipped in the salsa four times. Like, quadruple dipped. Does he not know the rules? You get one chip, one dip. What are you doing? Get, wash his hands. The crazy thing is, is we know there's 613 plus. Every time I read, there's more laws. I'm like, I gotta stop reading. This is too overwhelming. They had 10 commandments and they freaked out and the Pharisees were separate and they came up with their own customs, their own laws to keep you. So they were so consumed with washing when they got up, they washed. When they sat down, they washed. Before they ate, they washed because they didn't want to just wash before they went into the temple. What happens if you're in and out and the Gentile brushes up against you? You're unclean. Later on, we'll see there's unmarked graves. He's referring to all these additional laws where you might become unclean. They were so consumed. And they wanted Jesus to show respect for their religion. Jesus, didn't you know this is what religion is? You have to wash your hands before you eat. Everyone knows that. If you want to be righteous, their customs had to be respected, even though they had nothing to do with God's commands. So what does Jesus do? He preaches another sermon to the Pharisees in their home. We might call it the problem with legalists or hypocrites, fear men as he reveals. The first point is he looks at the hypocrisy. He's like, the hypocrisy has to be called out and exposed. In Luke chapter 11, verse 39, we see clearly, the Lord says to him, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Verse 41, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think of a cup, the outside and the inside, predominantly you use the inside until you have kids. Then you realize somehow they can use the inside and the outside and the underside, and it's all used. And when you're hurry, in a hurry, that gets put in the sink, and then you come to find out mac and cheese that was so easy to prepare, days later isn't so easy to clean. And you can't just throw it in the dishwasher. That's like the biggest lie I believed. And then we got married and found out you can't put dishes in the dishwasher. It, it just is more of a rinser, not a dishwasher. Um, the dishwasher, before we had a dishwasher, it was me. After we had a dishwasher, still had to be me. I didn't realize that. I thought I thought AI, you know, machines could replace me, but they couldn't. Apparently, I still needed to wash the dish before it goes in the dishwasher. And it was frustrating to get a dish out and to put your bowl of cereal or oatmeal and there's still that yellow residue and the noodle stuck on there. You're like, man, that, yeah, it's gonna be a while before that latte is made, honey. Sorry, I gotta clean this bowl first as you're scraping it out. And, and the Pharisees were so worried about the outside their outward appearance, they neglected the state of their heart. What matters most was not the outside of the cup. It was the inside. It was not outward obedience. It was their belief in Jesus. Their hearts were not inwardly clean. We might say they were okay washing the outside of the cup or the bowl and leaving the inside dirty, full of that cottage cheese milk from the lattes days ago. And if you go to Starbucks, you have a little bit of caramel in there too. You might as well just have a, you're like, okay, that's nasty. Clean it out. The inside is what's most important. 
May I remind you that Jesus isn't in the crowds anymore. He's in a Pharisee's home. He's the invited guest. And he shows no fear, and he goes directly for their throat. And he's just starting. So as he exposes hypocrisy, the rest of it goes through 12, which I'm going to reference a verse. We don't have time to get into it. But he's saying, beware of the hypocrisy. Through each of these woes, they were designed to make the people go, whoa, look out. He was pronouncing three woes on the Pharisees. And then he adds a couple more before he's done in this chapter. But three in particular, you don't love justice or God. You don't love justice or love God in verse 42. They were specific about giving a tenth of their mint and herbs, but they were wrong about God. I was never more convinced than I am now that the Pharisees are not only ancient Jewish sect, but are alive and well today. To meet one, if you haven't yet, all you need to do is speak of justice as a Christian, and they come out in droves. Just to mention the word would would anger them and get them riled up and start gnashing their teeth and write down a a manual of how Christians should engage in, in said issue. As they dot their theological I's and cross their theological T's, they neglect true justice, compassion, and the love of God. As, as modern-day Pharisees, similar to in Jesus' day, they're, they're all works, but no inward compassion or love. Jesus thinks the Pharisees' approach is not what it means to follow him, and so he's very clear and direct. And he says... The first thing to do is what you've been doing, tithe. But that's where it begins. That's not all there is. And you must not neglect the second, justice, mercy, and love. He's saying you tithe mint and you tithe rue and every herb of your garden. And this would be the place for Jesus to say, okay, we're, we're done with that. But instead he doubles down. And he says, this whole idea of tithe, that belongs to this idea that God owns the land. And in the Old Testament, the farmers would make their living off the land, and they would take a 10% of their profits, and they would give it to the temple. And the 10% would go towards helping people connect with God through the sacrificial system, pointing to Jesus. The other percent that was received in that 10% would go towards helping the poor. As farmers, you're out working the fields all day. You don't have time to come in and figure out who's poor, who's not, who's needy, who's not, who's just lazy, or who's actually in need. So you'd give it to the priests, the temple, to help you connect with God and help meet the needs of others and help the church connect with people. It's a great system because, as you know, getting loans in, in business 10% is a great deal for however much land you can farm. In in today's economy, your talents, your mind, your gifts, those are all owned by God and on loan to you. And how are you tithing off that? Because we don't have land necessarily we're farming. Some do. Some are in the wine business or the agricultural business and And you tithe off that. But others of you, it's your skills, it's your mind, it's your talents that are on loan to you from God. And so Jesus is saying that's where it starts. That's where it starts, but it's not enough to just cut a check. Don't leave the more important, the inside of the cup, undone. You see that? He says you tithe, that's great, but you're neglecting love and justice of God. You must do the latter and not neglect the former. You know, if there's one place where we can expect Jesus to really shut this whole tithing thing down or giving to the church, it'd be here. But instead, he actually says, yeah, that's a good place to start. And then I want all of you. And then I want your talents. And then I want your time. Isn't that great? Because Jesus is here to have a relationship with us, not ask 
us to do more for him. He says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. I want my spirit in you. And then the outside of the cup will take care of itself. But let's talk about the inside of the cup for a minute. You must not leave the inside messy with that mac and cheese stuck on there unattended to. You must keep it clean. So you see what Jesus has done. First of all, he gives us an external guideline. How do you know if you're generous? A lot of people like to think they're generous. They go to a a school auction or fundraiser and they give like a thousand bucks a year. Super generous, right? Every time you hear of some politician or famous person giving like 500 bucks, you're like, wow, that's pretty generous. And you look at how much they make and they're like, wow, that's, and that's all they gave once a year, okay. But are you really generous? Do you know how generous you are? Here's the guideline. If you give to the cause, but don't serve on the board, you're probably a Pharisee. When you think about it, everyone cuts checks, but no one shows up to the school on a Thursday at noon and helps in the classroom. Everyone's like, man, the schools are falling apart. Hey, this is falling apart. Man, our community's falling apart. I know. We sit in seats and we cut checks. That's what we do. We don't show up anymore as the church. It's broken my heart as I, as I came back into cell service to see the good news that two things were passed to protect lives. The, the right to defend life outside of the womb and the right to defend life inside the womb, which is awesome. And it's interesting to see on one side, the church is like, yay. And then a lot of good comments were saying, hey, we're, we're actually supposed to double down. We're actually supposed to keep going. And as I look at our church, our gathering is the, the going and the continuation is the foster, adopt, and the resources. There was a documentary done that, that helped remind us that it doesn't matter the, the location of a human being that would give them an opportunity to be killed or not, but it was the, the need for the church to love those who, who've had an abortion, to love those who are contemplating, to have the resources to not just say, hey, don't do it, but to say, hey, we'll help you. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna feed you. We're gonna close you. We're gonna house you. And that's, that's the thing that has to be so in your face and so bold and clear. Because as I was reminded, they've been listening to the flesh and they've been listening to the world. And it's a lot easier and cheaper, always. And as that ended, I was like, you're right. It's $600 to $800 to get an abortion done. To raise a child, to give birth, to ra- that's so unknown, uncertain, scary, and financially overwhelming. And the church has to stand up and say, we love you. We don't, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge, I came to save you. And as the church, we go, hey, you need Jesus. It's the inside of the cup. I want you to know Jesus. I want your, his spirit in you. How can we help? How can we pray? How can we come alongside knowing full well they'll reject Jesus? But they have to start saying, I can't ignore that Jesus changed that church and has sent the church to love. I can't ignore the fact the church keeps knocking on my door, paying for tires, paying for rent, paying for food, paying for, what's what's going on here? Because that's what happened in the early church. That's what happened. They adopted kids, they fostered kids, And it wasn't like, oh, the church is mad at me, culturally. The church was there saying, hey, we got issues, but we can solve it. Because God's in us and his love's flowing through us. What are we going to do? We're going to help. And that is an amazing opportunity the church has right now. To say, okay, the power's in the states. And so as we know, companies are paying thousands of dollars to send their employees to states that are going to still allow abortions. So that means, like I've said, we're on the front lines in a lot of ways. Some people retreat for whatever reason, but we're here to spread the love of Jesus. And God's called us to be here, to be known by our love. So are we gonna make comments and snark and know there's a disagreement, or are we gonna serve and love like Jesus and pray when you get an email from your company on what pronouns to use or not use, and pray when here's what we're doing 
How do I respond? How do I lovingly present the gospel without backing down from truth? Because Jesus in the crowd was a different tone than with the Pharisees. But with the Pharisees, he's like, guys, you're not representing me. Stop it. Stop giving money to the temple. I don't want it unless the Spirit's in you, changed you, and then the love can flow through you. Because he goes on and says, look, you need to be more passionate about the small things, the inside things, the love, the justice, and mercy, and then go on to complete the matters of the outward working of the law. We cannot neglect the love of God and love of neighbor when the whole law is summed up in these points. And there's small things, like giving a pair of shoes to a homeless person. But you have to be in downtown, on the streets, next to someone in need. Even more difficult, how are we going to walk along someone who is contemplating abortion unless we have a relationship, unless we're out there and have built that bridge of connection? See, the Pharisees loved themselves in verse 43. They wanted applause and popularity. They didn't want God. They wanted to be worshipped. They did not want to worship God. They thought little of God, and they thought much of themselves. Much of their buildings and their religion. It's possible to use religion for popularity and privilege, which it's hard to hear, but it's true of most representations of Christ. They've used Christ to get attention, to get views, and they've said things to get a reaction, but the hands and feet of Jesus always show up on a doorstep. It always started with hospitality. Jesus leaving his home to come to ours that was a mess and broken and say, I have, I have hope, I have healing. I didn't come to judge you on how bad you've been stewarding my world. I didn't come to judge on the fact you are or aren't giving your money to me. I've come to let you know that the inside of the cup needs my spirit, and I need to save you of your sin. And if we focus on that reality, and it's true, I mean, I get sucked into it sometimes, and I'm like, man, I think this is right and that's wrong. But when we stop and we realize there's no way they're going to think rightly, the world's always celebrated wrong things, and it's going to increase. And the only way that we can change that is pray for them and share the gospel with them and let Jesus do the changing. And we continue to do the loving. In Judaism, touching a grave made a person unclean. So they were constantly separate from the culture, separate from anyone that was unclean or sinful. And that's why he jumped down and said, you lay traps for others in verse 44. You have all these things you have to duck and dodge, these unmarked graves, that if you walk on one accidentally, you're unclean. That's why they were so concerned with washing constantly, because you might go to in and out and all of a sudden there's a Gentile that brushes, oh, no, I can't go to temple, I gotta go wash. It's like, where are you going? You just washed your hands. Oh, I think that guy touched me. I don't know if he's a Jew or not, I gotta wash. It's like washing constantly Men walked right into these unclean graves of hypocrisy, thinking that their outward appearance had to be up to snuff, disregarding the inside junk that they never let God deal with. We see the third point is that scribes and hypocrites, scribes are hypocrites to be condemned, too. Verse... <clears throat> 45, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us. He said, woe to you lawyers also. Probably regretted saying anything at that point. Hey, that's kind of insulting. Yeah, woe to you also. Oh, geez. Jesus, you're a lot nicer in the crowd. Can we go back there? For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses 
and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. He's saying you put loads on people. 613 plus laws you have to obey, and you don't lift a finger to help them. All you're doing is standing back and saying you should do this, you shouldn't do this. This is wrong, this is right. And the church, we've fallen into that unmarked grave. We've fallen into that hypocrisy. And then people come in and they, constantly people tell me, ah, oh, I, was, I was at that church and oh, they're just fake. They're hypocrites. It's like, I know you should come to our church. We're a mess. Like I tell you every Sunday, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I blow it. I know what I should do and I don't do it. And here, I was like, ah, oh, this is hard. How do we do this though? Because we have to understand it. And there's a lot to understand. So let's simplify it so we can do it. And the simplicity is, do I take my cup and do I go, Jesus, fill it with your spirit every day? And am I okay when he gets a little crazy in there and cleans it up? Am I okay when I go, yeah, actually there's been mac and cheese for three weeks. There's sin that I haven't confessed. We're all in need of the Savior. And Paul says there's things I should do and I don't do, and I don't do the things I ought to do. But to be a hypocrite is to say it's okay. I'll just keep living this way. And as believers, may it never be, because we'll never be known by our love if we keep judging and keeping people at arm's distance and say, oh, you gotta read Romans and then we'll talk. Read Leviticus and then we'll talk. It's like, wait, hold, hold on, time out. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Come to me, everyone whose sin has completely crippled you and you have no hope and you can't see where to take your next step. Come to me, all religious who think that by doing a good thing or cutting a check is gonna help you. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. My way of life is so easy. Just follow me. It will cost you everything. He's not letting us get away with a check. He's saying, I want your talents and your time, because by the way, I own all of it. And the least you could do was cut me a check for 10%. We'll get to that in a minute. Hypocrisy at its core is fearing men, not God. Because we fear that men will find out we're fake. And we've been faking it. But God knows our heart. And that's why Jesus came and said, stop being so concerned with the outside. Men know you're a mess. Stop acting like you got your life together. I was at Camp Good News and I was sharing the gospel with the kids. And I was like, hey kids, guess what? I'm gonna tell you a secret. Even though we're your parents, we're still figuring it out. And they laughed. Because you can't trick kids. They know when you're having a tense conversation and it's an argument. And you're like, it's not an argument. Oh, sure, mom. You're gonna win this one. Dad's like, what? Come on. They know that we're still figuring it out. So why are we in adult church acting like we're good? No. The outside of the cup, you might be able to cut a check. Great. I don't care. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. Even here, it's scary to say Jesus is like, stop giving. I'm like, really, Jesus? Okay, stop giving to the church. We don't even pass a plate. It was great. At dinner the other night, this guy was next to us, and he was trying to use that as, I'm not going to come to your church. You pass the plate. I was like, well, actually, we don't. He's like, oh. Uh. <laughs> it's like, yes, sovereignty of God. We don't do that. I want your heart. He's like, yeah, I don't want to give. I'm like, I know. It's easier for you to cut me a check. You're a lawyer. You don't have to give me anything. But what about your talents and your time? Well, I'm, no, I'm not going to talk about that. Dinner's over, and he left. Got a little too serious. Are we fearing men or God? Are we so concerned with our outward appearance? Or are we concerned with what's going on on the inside? Because until the church can say, God, cleanse me, Give me your love, your compassion. We won't be seen or heard as we hope to, as we ought to, by our love. And that's what's been clear this past week. So many people were like, well, 
food trucks can't show up at a church because they believe this. And we can't do this, and you can't. It's like, man, if that's what we've reduced the, tr- the church to, uh, a food truck location, we have big issues. And here I think God planned it. He, in sovereignty, he knew what was going to happen this week and what we were going to talk about in his word. I didn't. And here's the amazing thing. In, in chapter 12, I was excited to teach it, but there's just not enough time. But this verse, chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. The only way to be clean inside of your cup is before God to acknowledge Jesus before men. And if we can't leave these doors and say, I love Jesus, he saved me and he can save you. And I'm here to love you and I'm here to lead you to him. All this other stuff, of course, we're gonna disagree. Dodge, Ford, Giants, Dodgers, political stuff, disagreements up and down everywhere. But if we're content just cutting a check, we'll never get into the true relational areas where we can say, look, I know life is hard and I know you, you, you're struggling with these dark things and we're gonna disagree, but I wanted to introduce you to Jesus and keep Jesus the main thing. And if we acknowledge Jesus before men, knowing it's gonna come at a great cost, we give your soul to the Lord, then he'll cleanse you. But give from what is within to the poor and then everything is clean for you. Jesus is saying, give what's within you to the poor. Give your time, give your talents. The Lord offers this gospel to those who know that their lives are messed up because of sin and that they need a savior. Years ago, we took high schoolers down to LA and did an outreach and supported the church that was planted there and did a lot of serving the poor, feeding the poor, walking around LA and and we took a a lawyer, one of the top lawyers at the time in, in San Luis, a divorce attorney and you could tell he was a little out of his comfort zone wasn't kind of his normal routine. And so at the end, he's sharing, we're all sharing in a circle what God did through the trip. And, and he didn't say much of anything the whole trip. And at the end, he said, guys, I, I gotta be honest, I've been a lawyer downtown San Luis for 40 years. And I, I walk the streets of Slow, and there's homeless everywhere. And I've never looked at one in the eye. I've never talked to one until this trip. It was amazing to see, he was cutting checks, he was sitting in pews, and and as a result of that, the church I was a part of, Grace Slow, started a food, took over a food pantry ministry for for the homeless. And I don't think he missed one week being there, serving physically. In addition to cutting the check, he gave his time and his talents to serve the poor. He didn't have to, he lived his life as far away and as lofty you know, that you could from the homeless, but yet God used that to open his eyes to see, hey, as I left heaven to earth to serve you, go and serve those in need. They know their need for repentance and they delight to turn to the Lord from sin for salvation. And it was amazing to see a believer grow and then the result was him going and serving. But first, it's knowledge And the church has to be aware of those who know God and who sit and cut checks to have this conversation and say, hey, you know, we need to talk about your giving. Maybe it's time you stop or you start growing and going because the gifts just aren't really real unless you know Jesus and he's inside of you. And then you should be a part of the church serving in some capacity. Those sinners who turn and and trust are cleansed by Christ. If you would offer your entire self to Christ, to be his servant, to follow him. He will cleanse you. He'll make you new. He'll wash you. So if you feel dirty, feel soiled, unclean, the worst part about dishes is that film. They look clean, they appear clean, but on the inside, there's that film. You know what I'm talking about? Let Jesus come and cleanse you thoroughly, heal you, mend you, 
who will take the pieces of your life and make you whole. Come to Christ. We gotta be careful how we hear the word of God because we know what we prefer, or we accept, but when we hear a hard truth, do we just dismiss it? We become hardened and, oh, it's not me, man. I'm glad he's hearing it, or I hope she hears it, or you know who needs to hear this. I'm gonna send the link to him. I've been there before, and then before I send the link, I'm like, oh, I think I should listen to this again. Maybe this was for me. Jeremiah 23, 28 through 29 says, the prophet who has only a dream should recount the dream, but the one who has my word should speak my word truthfully. For what is straw compared to grain? This is the Lord's declaration. Is not my word like fire? This is the Lord's declaration. And like a hammer that pulverizes rock. You see, God expects his word to fall like a hammer and break up the rocky heart. Jesus is saying, you can keep your tithe if you've not experienced the love of God in such a way that giving in these proportions and with this kind of gladness does not come naturally to you. There's a place actually in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He's talking about Jesus on the cross. Then he turns around and says, I'd like money from you, Corinthian Christians, because I wanna take and give your money to the poor Christians in Macedonia. I'm not commanding you though, no, Think of this for a second. He says, I'm not commanding you to give. You know the grace of Christ. Listen carefully here and how he says this. He says, you know the grace of Christ. If you give only out of obedience, you're disobeying. God commands generosity that cannot be commanded. Paul is saying, I'm asking you to give, but I refuse to command you. Do you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, you know the grace of Christ so you should give out of a passion or a desire or overflowing love for the recipient to receive. You don't command a husband to kiss his wife. You don't command a bride to kiss her groom. You don't command someone in love to kiss another that they're in love with. You don't say, now listen, if you want this relationship to last, you have to increase, you probably need to show some physical affection and increase your dating time. You don't need to command that. If they're in love, you don't have to tell them that. Paul says, I refuse to command you. Somebody says, well, I think the idea of this tithe is, is old school. I don't think it's, I think it's oppressive. I don't really feel like I can do it gladly. But I know Jesus died for me. Paul is saying, no, you don't know that Jesus died for you. Because if you think about this, think about the extravagance, Jesus in heaven being worshiped, leaving his place to totally be undone, stripped. And the extravagance of Jesus on the cross, humbly serving you, sacrificing everything for you who's poor to transfer your debt to him and in return inherit everything that's his. The Bible says we all love money too much. We do. And that's why we need to think about what Jesus has done that cuts the umbilical cord, that cuts this chain that we're tied to this desire of money. Think about it. Among the poor, the love of money creates crime. Among the middle class, the love of money creates workaholism and worry. As I listen to Dave Ramsey, he's like, yeah, I fell into this trap. I could just spend more because I'll just earn more and it'll be fine. Workaholism, middle class, getting to the upper class, and then you get in debt, and then Dave Ramsey says, now you need three jobs. It's like, wait, I thought you said workaholism was, ah, it's a problem. Workaholism will just create more workaholism and worry. And among the rich, the love of money creates superficiality. Because you're just so absorbed in your homes, absorbed in your games you can play that nobody else can afford to play. 
that you're not serving anybody. The rich have tennis courts, pools, and golf courses all around their house. They don't need to leave. It's all right there. They don't ever have to walk downtown slow and see a homeless person. They don't need to go to L.A. and to Skid Row because they have the financial district. And they keep busting people out. It's the same thing. It's materialism. It's greed. And when we're honest that power, control, and money are the, are the three things that the Pharisees continue to hold on to. Jesus is saying, I'm supposed to serve. I don't have power. Jesus is saying that God's actually in control. Religion isn't. It's a relationship with God. And then the third thing, Jesus is like, dude, you stop talking. What? Money? But that's how this whole thing goes around is money. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, I need a relationship with you. It's in there. All these problems relationally with socially, you think about race, you think about abortion, gun control, all these things. It's like, man, if Jesus was in our hearts, if Jesus was in the church, and the church was going out so passionately, pursuing people like Jesus pursues you, having these conversations, a lot of it would be second to Jesus. It has to be. If you view the cross and the extravagant love that God pours into us, then we go and we help them see Jesus. Therefore, the money is often controlling the Pharisees and it's controlling you and me unless we turn to Jesus and say, okay, you're priority. Is there anybody here who thinks giving away 10% of your income to God's work, to charity, to whatever is too much? Money is controlling you. It has you under its thumb. You're not controlling it. It has you. There's an inordinate love there. The only way to break it, the only way for you to grow up and cut the umbilical cord and to get out from under the thumb is to look to Christ, who was literally, you could say, robbed for you on the cross because he was stripped, lost his shirt, became poor, and we inherited all of his wealth. That great exchange that Martin Luther called it, a little bit more palatable than being robbed, was we're poor and he's rich, and then we inherited his wealth, and he inherited our poverty. So as we conclude this way, some of you think the whole idea of this tithing thing is too much. I say to you, your money has you by the throat. It's time we grow up and we realize we don't have to let our money control us, and we need to think about the grace that Jesus Christ and what's done for you. Imagine you're a person and all the money you have in the world is stuffed in a cookie jar in your house or apartment. Do you know what? When you think about that cookie jar, it brings you both comfort but anxiety. What happens if a fire breaks out? What happens if someone takes a cookie jar? Now think about this. What if someone put a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account for you? Suddenly that cookie jar doesn't really comfort you or worry you so much. And if you know what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you see the riches you have in him, if you know that you're adopted into his family, that you're justified freely by his grace, you have his holy power living in your life. If you see how rich you are, then even a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account is just a cookie jar to you. It doesn't worry you and it doesn't comfort you. You're free, you're finally free. Middle class people who worry, you poor people who scheme, you rich people who play, you're free. The only way to be free is to have both the inside of the cup and the outside of the cup cleansed by Christ. There are a few people here who I like to comfort who say, you know what, I, I don't like that. I hate these kind of messages. I'm unemployed, I'm underemployed, inflation rose. Now I can barely make rent and, and eat. I wish I had the money to give. I'd love to give. And this is the passage that should encourage you tremendously because Jesus is saying it's not the outside of the cup. It's the inside. Do you want to give? Are you giving your time? Is your attitude toward money the right thing? Are you worshiping money or are you worshiping God? Are you just 
rich in Jesus? Do you celebrate his grace? And are you giving your time to share his grace with others? Paul was not rich. And when he went to a church, he was like, hey, I need money because this church needs, needs it. These believers need it. He was never saying, hey, great sermon. Now, now let's do a love offering for Paul. I don't know where that came from. That was weird. I always feel weird about that. But Paul's like, no, I know this church needs it, and you have it. So let's, let's share what God's given. And out of the abundance of their poverty they gave. It wasn't like this church was wealthy and they had a, a surplus in their budget. But these people needed. Jesus is saying it's the inside of the cup that counts. They weren't looking to their own household first. They were saying, oh, people are in need. Here you go, Paul. Bring it to them. Jesus is saying it's the inside of the cup that counts. When you get the money, then you can give the outside too. This is a huge comfort. God says in Malachi to put me to the test. Bring in the tithe and wait till you see what I pour into your life. It's astonishing because God always says, don't put me to the test. But here he says, you want to talk about giving? You want to talk about what it means to give? When you give from your heart joyfully, put me to the test. Nobody's going to know whether you handle that test. Not me. You're not going to give all your tithe to life community. We, we don't know. Even if you're a member here, I don't expect you to give at all at life community. I know there's other places you've committed to give money to. Nobody's going to be able to know what you do with your money. Don't you see? Some of you probably shouldn't give here because this isn't your local church. I tell you, if you would put God to the test, if you'd start giving, our lives would overflow, our churches would overflow. What would it look like if, if our church gave our life, laying it down at Jesus' feet and said, okay, you fill me up, cleanse the inside, my time, my talents, and then my treasure. How do I give this? How do I go this week into the places that there needs to be a Jesus? How do I go to, to, to Tree of Life Pregnancy Center? How do I pray? Am I putting myself on the streets and in 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 meeting people who are in need? Or do I just come sit in a chair and write a check and think that's church? Because Jesus called us to a body and then he called us to go to a hurting and dark world that's gonna disagree with everything Jesus said. Every time he's in the crowd, he's speaking truth in love, and every time he's with the Pharisees, he's correcting error and speaking truth with love. It's just a little harsher. And so as we go from here, may we be reminded when we're in the crowd to temper the message of gospel with grace. And when we're speaking to believers, we can speak a little more directly. But may we not confuse the two because Jesus never did. And I think as your pastor, I wanna make sure we go through passages like this. Sometimes it's easy to go, yeah, I'm going to go on social media. I'm going to go talk to my neighbor. I'm going to talk to my... It's like, whoa, Jesus talked a whole lot differently to the woman at the well than he did to the owner of this house, the Pharisee. And so we need to be mindful of that. Because if we started allowing him to fill us up, eventually the outside of the cup is going to look pretty good. But let's focus on the inside first. Let's put God to the test and allow his spirit to fill us up, transform our lives so that the overflow of that cup would be our time, our talents, our treasures to transform our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities, the state and the world for the gospel. Our Father gave us the greatest command to go to the world. The world has so many different ideologies, social ideas, cultural ideas, perspectives. And Jesus says, yeah, none of that matters. Do you love me? Do you know me? So we ought to do the same. The command was to go bring Jesus to the world and teach them to obey. Not everyone's going to want to obey. But the command remains the same to go and share. And Jesus is saying, first, you need to care. First, my spirit has to be in you. First, the love of God has to transform the inside of the cup. And then 
Your budget's going to be completely different. Your time, your schedule is going to look different. Your talents, you're going to realize he owned them and they're on loan to you. So if you've yet to trust in Christ, now's the time. Don't wait. Let him fill the inside of your cup and transform it. Renew your life. Renew your mind to understand the grace of Christ given to you. Let's pray. God, we know we've been experiencing your mercy. We deserve death. We deserve separation from you because of our selfish, sinful life that we led. We know that it's your grace that you put Jesus on the cross for each one of us to take our poverty and in, in turn give us your inheritance in Christ, to take our guilt and shame and declare us innocent and give us the boldness to not be ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God unto salvation that we would go knowing there are so many differences and hurts and challenges in this world, but Lord, you gave us the answer, it's Jesus. That we would keep it simple, remain humble, and as Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. May we go out as humble servants committed to following Jesus, known by our love. In Jesus' name. I want to give you guys a time to, to pray and turn to the Lord as believers. And this is a time of communion where we acknowledge that God's wrath that's for sinners, those who reject God and continue living in sin, would, would draw close to Jesus. And so... We have some communion for those believers that want to take that and I'll come up and, and wrap us up reminding us that God's wrath is not on belie believers any longer but it's on the unbeliever and it's on Jesus. And that's why we preach the hope that if you turn to Jesus, God's wrath has already been paid for by his son. You can be saved. Let's pray and I'll, I'll wrap us up in a minute.